Hello, welcome to Coming Out and Beyond LGBTQIA plus stories and support. My name is Amory Zanzel and I came out later in life. I am a lesbian ordained minister, a mom, a partner to a wonderful woman, and I coach people through the coming out process later in life. I created this series because I believe that through stories and story sharing, we can learn, discover, and connect with each other. Listening to other stories can often help us to hear our own. My guest today is Megan Summer. Uh, Megan Summer came out later in life. She is a mom of four kids and she lives in New England. And she's also a uh, clinical social worker. That's what she does for a living. Hi, Megan. How are you today? Hi, I'm great. I'm doing really well. Thank you. Thank you, and thank you for coming out on this on our on on the podcast today. Um, so, Megan, tell me your story. So, um, my story is that I have always known that I was gay from mm-hmm. a very very young age, but I I didn't have the language at a very young age. Um, I just knew I was obsessed with women and girls and wanted to ingratiate myself as much as I possibly could with all the girls all the time. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And that I was, that I was physically attracted to, to girls at a very young age. I knew that, but again, like I didn't have the language. This was 30 years ago. This, there was no Ellen. There was no, I grew up in rural Ohio. Um, There were no role models. Um, I didn't know anybody gay, male, Mm -hmm. female that, you know, that I knew three's a company where, you know, Jack Ritter got made fun of for because being a gay man. Yeah, exactly. Where it was just like characterized. Um, So I just, I knew that I I felt different. I knew that I was attracted to girls um, and then left and went off to college. Uh, And again, like just any, anything I could do to get my hands on like women's issues. I was president of the women's center. I worked at project women. I majored in women's studies. I just wanted to be around that as much as I possibly could, but and, and at that point in time, this was the you know mid to late 90s, there was a little bit more awareness, a little bit more exposure, but still, it was still Ohio, mm-hmm. was still not, you know, I had some friends that came out and I was just like in awe of them and I thought it was amazing, but still just, I couldn't, um, I didn't have the courage and I didn't, there, and I, one thing I knew even more than being gay was that I always wanted to be a mom. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to have kids. Mm-hmm. And, and back then that was definitely, there was no, that was not happening. I mean, gay women were almost, were, I think there was a court case. I was like that a woman had her kids taken away when from with her, her mom adopted them. And like, it was yeah, all these horror stories. Yeah. It's scary. It was, it was terrifying. The prospect for me to come out at that point in my life was terrifying to me. Mm-hmm. Question of curiosity. Did you explore it at all at college in college at all? I didn't in college. I dated the captain of the football team all four years. I How was small? How big was the school? Where where did you, um, did you say where you went? You don't. Yeah, have I went to Wittenberg University, which is a small liberal okay. arts school in in Ohio. Um, mm-hmm. About two thousand students. Mm-hmm. Very lovely. I had a wonderful time. You know, I led the first Take Back the Night rally. I was very involved in all the feminist stuff that I could possibly do. Um, and, you know, tried to get to know as many gay people as I possibly could and like wanted them to sort of see me without like actually like I wanted them to read my mind. <laughs> I wanted somebody well, to. <laughs> but I also think it's like one of those things where um, 
we want to be with our people. Yeah. 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 You know, and so a lot of times I joke about it is like, you know, when I was, you know, not out, if I came into a room and there was some gay people there, I'd be like a moth to the flame. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and I remember verbatim every conversation I ever had with a gay lady in college. Like, mm-hmm. like I just would replay them and just think about them. And it was just, I was, uh, yeah, yeah, it was, I, I knew I knew all of those things and yet I still like that, that the pull of compulsory heterosexuality was just so strong and yeah. just, you know, my family was very conservative. Um, religious? Not religious, but just, you know. Politically conservative. Yeah, politically conservative. Yeah. So I, you used a word uh, and I'd love for you to explain it. What is compulsory heterosexuality? Not everybody knows that. So to me, um, and I think it was Audre Lorde who might've like explored this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually but, used, she used another term and it'll come to me, but go on. Okay. <laughs> so when, again, like I studied like every gay lady I possibly could in college and wrote about, um, about lesbian imagery and Christina Rossetti's poetry and just like everything I could possibly do to get right there close, but not actually take that leap. But anyway, like compulsory heterosexuality to me um, just meant like there there were no options. Like there mm-hmm. there was no, the other was so far the other that it just didn't even seem to be an option for me. Mm-hmm. And this and the scariness of coming out to my family at that time of, um, you know, never having children, of being ostracized, you know, they, they had just looked to put an amendment to the Ohio constitution banning same-sex marriages. So there was you know, a big, uh, you know, just people saying horrible, horrible things about gay people. And it's Mm -hmm. like, like, would I really, do I really want to be in that group? If I can pass and not, Mm -hmm. and I can date guys and I can Mm -hmm. date a lot of guys. And, and that's, you know, it, it was easy on some levels. I mean, it was, some things are hard, you know, you're hiding a part of who you are, but you know, the more you hide it and the more you push it away, you can kind of forget about it. And I also could convince myself that it didn't matter. Right. And then what happened? <laughs> then the next part of the story is you graduated from high school. I mean, college. Yeah. And worked for a while. I worked. Then, I went yeah. to grad school and uh, at Ohio State and I was there and I did. I had a relationship with a woman mm-hmm. um, and it was wonderful, mm-hmm. but it was really, really scary. Mm-hmm. And maybe because it was so wonderful is why it was so scary and and it felt and it was unfamiliar and um and then probably six months into that relationship I met my soon-to-be husband and he lived in New York City he was best Mm -hmm. friends with my sister's husband Mm -hmm. so I would go to New York City to visit them and um and I met him and he was so like safe and mm-hmm. just like, he was a bit older than I was. So mm-hmm. he had all his shit together and like a real career and very and, solid foundation. And mm-hmm. I was getting into my late twenties at this point. Well, yeah. And he also was somebody your family would approve of. Oh, f- oh my gosh. A nice Jewish boy from Long Island. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It was so happy you found him. Oh, and yeah. Quick question. Were you out of the relationship with the woman? that you were in a relationship with when you met your husband? 
Um, it was kind of on again, off again. She was with somebody also, and it was just sort of, it was messy at the time. Yeah. We were young. We were going out to all the bars that, because that's where you meet gay, you know, you hang around gay people mm -hmm. or going to all the gay bars and the gay clubs. And it was just, it's kind of a messy time too. Mm -hmm. And then they think that also, like I looked at my, you know, the, this person, you know, in New York city. And it was like, oh, like he's so safe and stable. And here I am kind of going a little out of control and, Mm -hmm. you know, I loved my job and I, I really did love Ohio, but then there's also like, wow, like I can live in Brooklyn mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and sort of run away from all of this and like start a new life and like, you know, start a family. That's what I want to do. And mm -hmm. I can, you know, this doesn't, it does, again, it didn't, like I could convince myself that it didn't matter that right, being right. gay, just, it, it didn't matter. Well, you can put it up on the shelf and forget about it. Yeah, for sure. Compartmentalize that. And yeah, and we both know that really doesn't work because it keeps showing up. <laughs> it shows up in anxiety, it shows up in depression, it shows up in thoughts, it shows up in unhappiness, it shows up in anger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah. that's the thing is that we think we can put it away and we can't because it right. shows up in other ways. It's yeah. a fundamental part of my identity, of your right. identity, of our identity. And right. to deny that, you can, but it's, it's deny, to deny a part of who you are uh, and just shove it away and pretend it doesn't matter. It just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so you got married and had so I, a bunch of kids. <laughs> a bunch of kids, because if I'm going to do it, man, I'm going to get an A plus <laughs> and I'm going to be an overachiever. And so, I'm gonna... uh, both Megan and I are mothers of four. So. <laughs> we are overachievers. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. I'm going to attach my parent and breastfeed till they're, you know, three years old. And I'm going to do this thing until, because yeah. that's what I'm going to, because that's my lot in life now. And so, yeah, I had a bunch of kids. Um, I had like a, I had a pretty significant health crisis um, in 2015. And, you know, my husband definitely like took care of me and took care of the situation. And, um, and then I went back to my college reunion, my 20th college reunion in 2018, um, and reconnected with that woman that I had been with and just not physically, but just like, oh, you know, how have you been? How are things? And, um, and so then after that, we would call and we would text and talk and and she's like how are you married to a man you're gay <laughs> like I don't get how that works and mm -hmm. she had been out you know Since, in her 20s yeah, yeah she had been and she was somebody who was also engaged to she was engaged to a man in her 20s and came out you mm -hmm. know a little bit like nowadays would be considered mm -hmm. coming out a little bit later mm -hmm. um and so she would talk about like what it was like for her to come out to her you know fiance at the time mm -hmm. And, you know, how painful that was and just what that was like. And I was uh, like, you know, in the beginning, I was like, well, it doesn't matter. Like, I know I'm gay, but it does, it doesn't matter. It's not, I can hide it. I'm a mom. I have four kids. I live in the suburbs. I'm a stay at home mom. I haven't worked in 10 years. Mm -hmm. I have no, you know, my income potential is very, very limited right now. I missed out on the best career earning years of my life by being a stay at home mom. Um, you know, it was never anything that I ever wanted to do, but you just sort of fell into that role. And mm -hmm. um, so, 
you know, I, and then I'm just, but then I'm like wrestling with it, you know, and, and she's, you know, we're just talking and, and then I go and I make my very first appointment ever with a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I had been a therapist like all these years, um, you know, prior to marriage and then during marriage and then after for a little bit. And I never had gone to one myself. Mm-hmm. And I found my therapist who I said was LGBTQ friendly, friendly. I don't think, you know, I think it was just that along with a whole host of other things. And I went in and I was so nervous and I'm handing her my copay and I'm shaking. And then, and then I just start bawling in her office and Mm -hmm. I'm, I tell her, you know, that I'm, that I'm married and I have four wonderful kids. And my husband is a very kind man and that I'm gay Mm -hmm. and just like, how can I reconcile all of these, all of these dichotomies? And she, she's like, Megan, I feel like I'm looking in a mirror. She's like, I was sitting exactly where you were sitting. Wow. 15 years ago Mm -hmm. when I came out to my husband, Michael, who was chief of police in our, and, you know, had two very young kids and, and then, and she told me her story, which I thought was pretty amazing for her to, to be so open and honest. And, and that is really what helped me. Like if she had been just one of those sorts of therapists who was, you know, very close off and, oh, tell me more. And that's interesting. And have you thought of it this way or that way? But she like told me her story and opened up and showed me that there could be another way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I, that, that it is important she showed me that being gay is, is an important part of who I am. Right. Right. And isn't it interesting that you, like the universe sat you down that day in front of somebody who be, who had a very similar experience. It was almost like, I find that sometimes when we open this part of ourselves up, the universe moves incredibly fast. And here you are starting to open and you meet a, you meet a therapist that came out 15 years before, like, Yes. What are the chances of that? Like, Absolutely. All my mentors were lesbians. Yeah. <laughs> Even when I wasn't out, I mean, they were all like, I kept getting the universe kept putting lesbians in my path. Yeah. And, 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 and me and my effed up thinking at the time was like, you know, maybe I just think I'm gay because I'm friends with so many lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> just looking for any excuse because I was scared. Like you, I had a lot of privilege. I had, I had, you know, I had been back to work for a while because I'm older than you, but I had been back for work for a while, but I, like you, I'd lost my prime earning years. You know, I was worried Mm -hmm. about money and finances and all those things. Really nothing that really that doesn't have anything to do with our sexuality, but it's one of those things, but does have to do with divorce. Right. Right. It's very scary. It's very scary. Scary. Quick question for you. So in the groups that Megan and I run in, we talk about something called a catalyst. And usually as a catalyst is a person, you know, that, you know, awakens you up to your sexuality. But I also argue a catalyst is a life event. You know, um, you mentioned being very ill in 2015. And, and sometimes it's a divorce. Sometimes people get divorced beforehand. Sometimes a parent dies, a child dies. Some very significant life event can be your catalyst. Mm-hmm. Do you think your illness was a catalyst for you? Did it make you reevaluate your life? I think, so that's interesting that you mentioned that. I do think that um, my illness, it does kind of make you, so it was a brain tumor. 
I had a brain tumor and I went down to Duke university and had, had an operation there, had a craniotomy. Um, and then spent two weeks down there getting better before coming back up to my family. So I, I mean, I think it, it definitely does make you realize like, like it's really freaking short. Yeah. And it's really short to spend it hiding a big chunk of who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, I, I mean, what I find also interesting about you mentioning that about an event being a catalyst was that right prior to me going to um, back to Wittenberg, I had taken part in this storytelling event. Um, mm-hmm. They did this fundraiser for the school where people, you know, just local people from from town would get up and tell their stories. And like, I am petrified of public speaking and I always mm-hmm. felt like it held me back in my career and it held me back at school. And I'd always been really, it had been mm-hmm. a big fear of mine. And I was like, man, if anything's gonna get me over a fear, <laughs> it's gonna mm-hmm. be getting up in front of 600 people and telling an intimate story, you know, wow, with no notes or anything. Great you. So I did, I signed up or I auditioned, I guess, and um, to tell this story about joining the National Guard <laughs> because mm-hmm. I thought it was like a domestic Peace Corps when I was in my late twenties, but really it was probably just because I wanted again to be around women. Um, and I didn't say that about being around women in the story. It was just, you know, it was in the National Guard and, and just how it was kind of like not a good fit, but it ended up being a really amazing experience. Um, so I did, I got up and I told that story and like, that was the first thing that I had done that was mine and on my own since being married really. And Mm -hmm. since leaving Columbus, and that was the first thing that I had done to sort of look inward and sort of examine my life in a in a way, and also to do something that was just mine. And just the Mm -hmm. self confidence that I got from that that I could do something like that, like Mm -hmm. holy cow, like that's. So I think that that event too was a was a big piece of the puzzle, or a big piece of of how I was able to sort of even gain the self confidence to to reflect mm-hmm. and to not be scared of those reflections. Did you find that when you went to tell the story and you had to leave out pieces of it, were you aware of that at the time? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a part of the story was about a, a woman who, or one of the, I mean, they were all so young. I was 27 when I was in the National Guard. Everyone yeah. was like 17, 18 years old. And you were the and, old lady. Oh my gosh. They, oh, thank God they gave me like extra time to run the mile and stuff, 32 <laughs> miles. Um, so there was a, there was somebody there who like had hooked up with another girl in our barracks. And mm-hmm. I remember just being like enthralled by that. Like, mm-hmm. wow, like how like amazing and just wanting to like, you know, get to know her better and just like, just always those stories, every single lesbian story that I had ever heard in my life. I just was like, I latched onto. Mm-hmm. Because I relate to that in a lot of ways because I, um, I, so Pulse happened when I was in the process of coming out. Oh, um, so uh, the first time, so I was preaching at that point because I was working as a minister. And so I told this, um, like this, the Sunday after Pulse, it happened on a Sunday, but then following Sunday, um, I told a story about, um, about, you know, how gay people think of like the, their bars as sanctuary. Yeah. And so I talked about like, wouldn't it be amazing to create a community, a faith community where gay people could feel safe as sanctuary, totally as an ally. <laughs> 
totally is. <laughs> um, so then I got asked to preach four months, like a couple of months later, next town over, which was more conservative, which is sort of funny, you know, you know, the next town over, more conservative. Wow. And I preached the same sermon. Um, and first of all, I talked a little bit about gun control in that. And somebody got up in the sermon and walked out, wow. which, you know, that's part, you know, you haven't had somebody walk out on a sermon, then you're not preach. Oh my God. So, but that happened. But the funny thing is after I got, like, I got done preaching that sermon, got done with the service and felt horrible, like <sighs> so horrible. And it was in that moment, this was probably like about a six weeks into my final coming out that I realized I can never preach that sermon again as an ally. I oh. have to preach it as a lesbian woman or a gay woman wow. I didn't have a label for myself at that point but I I know that I can't preach it as an ally because I'm not an ally I'm I'm somebody who's a member of the community and I have to preach it that way I have to tell yeah. that story that way so I understand that it was like I probably I never thought about it until you said it right now but it was like a big part it was part of the whole process of me coming out wow not being able to share my story authentically right and just not yeah. feeling like you're really putting yourself your whole self out mm -hmm. there, you know, like what Brene Brown talks about when she talks about that wholeheartedness right? and how you search for those, you know, those wholehearted people. Mm -hmm. And if you're living in the closet, you can never, you can never be that wholehearted person. Right. And, and to that, what I find a lot of times is the people that really suffer the most in our community are later in life are people that are not fully out or fully <laughs> Yeah, because once you start the process and we have we call something called the messy middle, which is, you know, the middle in which you're you're in the process of coming out as gay. And then for some of us, probably the majority of us, we're going through a divorce at the same time. Um, and, you know, it's funny. And so we're doing both those things and we're in this messy middle. Right. We're in this messy middle, and we're trying to figure everything out. And it's so hard to do. So for you, you said something about the divorce. What has it been like for you to be in this messy middle where you're sort of half in, half out, you know, you're past that, you're now out. So how did you survive it? How did you navigate those times of when you were going through divorce? Oh man, I mean, I still feel like I'm in the messy middle. Like it's yeah. still every, you know, and the messy middle in a messy effing pandemic, which is just been really challenging and it slowed everything down too like if we hadn't been in pandemic times it, you know I would be probably much further along for sure mm -hmm. than what's going on now mm -hmm. um so you know it was trying to lean on on family you know leaning on on um you know the woman that I had reconnected with I mean we are now together we're mm -hmm. we're a family now mm -hmm. um and leaning on her a lot and, you know, having her help me get through things, um, you know, poured myself into my work, mm -hmm. uh, find, because you know, had, you had to probably too, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, and just also like really loving that, loving mm -hmm. my job and what I do and getting back into the, into the workforce and earning my own money again. And that, mm -hmm. that's, that was hugely helpful. Um, you know, moving into a new house and just settling in, in that way. Um, 
and just, you know, taking it day by day. It really is a day by day kind of situation still mm -hmm. for me now. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, it, and I think that it, that it will be for a little bit of time, you know, it's just, it's hard, hard, hard stuff. I mean, I was in the closet for 30 years mm -hmm. and, you know, I live in a conservative town. It's not like I can just jump into a gay community and be like, hi, you know, I'm new here. You want to show me around? <laughs> um, you know, I tried as much as I could. I did joined all the meet, you know, anything gay, I was down. Like if it's gay, I'm doing it in the beginning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I went to this, I went, I met, I'd never like meditated before, but there was this group in Boston that was doing a LGBTQ meditation, you know, for a for half a day of retreat. And I was like, oh my God, sign me up. Like, I'll be, I'll learn. Like I'll do the crash course. I'll learn how to meditate, mm -hmm. all this stuff. And I, and I'm like, I'll just chat up all these gay people and it'll be just amazing. And I go, I get, I get there and, you know, I walk in and they're like, and they point to a sign and it's a silent retreat. It's <laughs> like, oh man, I can't even talk to these. Like we can't talk when we're eating. We can't talk when we're doing anything. I'm just like staring at all these gay people. Like, Am I one of you? Am I not? And, um, so what happened I think, in that retreat? I'm curious. Did you, because it was a silent one, you had to do yeah. a reflection. Yeah. I was uh, very uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like sitting weird. I didn't know, like, I, I was trying to do the breathing. I mean, it was, you know, the lovely and everybody who was, who could talk, like the people leading it were, you know, lovely. And I got to like, even just physically be around other gay people, just at that felt, it felt good. But then again, I think, you know, you and I have talked, talked a bit about like that imposter syndrome, yes. too, how mm -hmm. sometimes you feel like maybe be, you know, because I was, I'm married to a man, I'm leaving this LGBTQ retreat and going home to my husband and four kids and two dogs in the suburbs, mm -hmm. you know, there, there's just so, so many contrasts there. Um, and so it, you know, it, it did feel good just to physically be around other gay people and to just like see them in that space. But, but I think it's really normal to take a while to feel like you fit in. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's honestly, I think it's like a, a you know, I, I think there are people that feel immediately that way. Um, but then I think there's, it, sometimes it takes a couple of years to feel like you actually fit in and that this is your community now. Right. Right. And I'm constantly coming out, you know, yeah. to my, the moms of my kids' friends, yes. to my friends, to family members, to, you know, I'm on a steering committee trying to, you know, have a little bit more diversity in town. And, you know, we have this text thread going along and I'm, we're talking about this. Somebody had made a hor like a homophobic comment at a school committee meeting and I'm talking about it. And I was just like, well, you know, as a gay lady, Mm -hmm. da, 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 da. but then like so I just came out to them and then it's like radio silence and, I, and then I'm like you know that vulnerability hangover like what did I just do and well yeah but you also live in a small, small town and people probably know <laughs> <laughs> right. you know because that's how small town life is coming out in yeah. a small town can be really problem. you know let's talk about that for a quick second what's it like coming out I, I had that experience coming out in a small town what surprised you um I think some of the people who you think are going to just be like a hundred percent supportive and um, sometimes say the, say things that can sort of be hurtful in ways that you're not mm -hmm. surprise you, I guess, or that just sort of go radio silence or you just don't hear from people or, 
you know, people that you think are, would always have your back are just like not necessarily there. And then there's other people who like the people that I don't know very well. Like I was at a, at a friend's gathering and somebody that I didn't know very well. And I'm talking about, yeah, and I'm separated and, um, oh, you know, why what's going on? I'm like, well, actually I'm gay. You know, she stood up and she like gave me the biggest hug and said, I am so proud of you. Mm-hmm. And this was somebody I didn't know that well, but like that kind of experience, you know, that kind of response um, was, was amazing. So one thing you did mention was like how that lady stood up and gave you that um, big embrace. You know, my partner always talks about the full embrace, you know, mm-hmm. in that moment, she gave you the full embrace, which means that she just loved you and said, oh, I'm so happy for you. Congratulations. The half embrace is when the friend goes to you, oh, how are the kids? Right. <laughs> oh, how are you and your husband doing around this? Yeah. You know, and I, I find that my first full embrace was by my kid's youth pastor, my youngest son's youth pastor, who just got up and said, congratulations. And like, once I experienced that, that somebody just saying, oh, I'm so happy. You're so brave. You're so one, you know, you're, you know, good for you. Um, Once I experienced that, everything else paled in comparison. And so I get like, when I got the, oh, you know, I just was like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) So I know, I know. It's also that like coming out, coming out divorced too. I Mm -hmm. feel like there's a huge stigma, you know, in, in this small town and in kind of conservative town, like the divorce part is, sometimes more stigmatizing than the, than the gay part. Right. Um, and the divorce, you know, that's also, you know, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. It's so hard. And I'm like, it, it is, but it's also this, you know, this you're, I'm finally living in my authentic life. Like that is something to be celebrated and that is something to be um, cherished and, and, and not mourned. Mm-hmm. It's not all mournful. Mm-hmm. Well, I find that when, um, so my ex and I were in a small town where we were very well known and the kids were, um, had gone through almost, you know, high school, my kids were in, some of my kids were in college when I came out. So, um, and what I found is that uh, for a lot of people is that, yeah, it's about me being gay, but it was also about the divorce. It was more mm-hmm. about the divorce. And I found that, people are afraid of people getting divorced in small towns because a lot of people are unhappy and they don't have the courage to leave their marriages. So they're just going to stick it out. I also feel like people think it's catching. And sometimes it is because I've seen friend circles where one, one friend group, one, like one couple starts to get divorced. And then before the two years is out, four of the couples in that friend group are divorced. Absolutely, 100%. And then another thing too, is that sometimes for people, it's that they're really struggling with their sexuality on their own and this scares them. And so sometimes that's why people pull away as well. And then there's also just good old homophobia. (laughs) Because you just, you know, the thing is, is I think we live it, like I remember telling my partner when I was, oh, no one's gonna care up here. Like I'm in New England as well, I'm in Connecticut didn't think anybody in my very liberal small town that had a large gay community in it. I, but it's a weekender gay community, you know, Um, on the weekends, you know, and it's mostly male too, mm. mostly male. And um, 
I didn't think people would care. And I was really stunned by the shunning, mm -hmm. you know? And it's sort of funny because, not funny, I don't wanna use this word, but it's sort of, um, first of all, it's only temporary and you get through it. And I don't want anyone to be scared by this because Megan and I are sitting here on the other side of that, of that part. And it's sort of like, just sort of made you open your eyes to what people can do, you know? And I, you know, what has been amazing for me is that, you know, we talk about like not caring about what other people think and stuff like that. But until you've gone to, through an experience like this, you learn not to really care what other people think or say about you because that is a requirement to live as a happy, healthy gay person in this country. You have to care, not care what people think or say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And you are so headed on the nose, headed on the head by saying, um, and until you go through that experience, mm -hmm. you, don't, you, you can give it lip service all you want. Like, oh, I don't care what people think. Oh, I'm gonna, mm -hmm. you know, paint my house this color. I don't care what people think. But until yes, having this kind of an experience and really, and really feeling that, that otherness mm -hmm. and really like, uh, you got to own it. Like if you don't, if you can say you don't care what other people think, but when it happens, you, you do, you, the only way to really survive it is just to own it and just to really not yeah. care. Well, like with every difficult feeling we have, it's just, yes. like, you got to yeah. go through it. Yes. You <laughs> got to just sit with the just... suck and sit yeah. with the, in the suck and just let it suck. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then it passes. And, you know? and yes. And on the other side of that are deep, meaningful friendships mm -hmm. that I know are deep and meaningful. And for people who really, who care about me and who love me and who will always be there for me. Right. And I think one of the things is that I think, so this is the argument, you know, this is like what comes first, the chicken or the egg thing. So I had a retreat once and um, like eight women were there. And they were all um, coming out. And um, it was funny because we started talking about, you know, the straight mommy friends groups and how you make friends around your children mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And it was funny because we were all like, oh God, I really didn't like that. And they're like, you didn't like that? I didn't like that. And then all of a sudden, all of us start talking about our experiences of trying to fit in Mm -hmm. to these groups that we didn't really fit into and we kept and then eventually you just give up and you you're just not part of the groups you're friendly with a person here or there but you just don't you're just not part of the group and so my question is is that is that because we're we were gay women trying to fit into straight society and I think for a lot of us it is and so sometimes when we come out later in life we have a, we often struggle with fitting into what our straight norms are like I don't want to go shopping with you and have a girls weekend. I, do, I, do, I just don't want to do that. <laughs> don't want to do that. You know, sometimes you think there's something wrong with you, but it's not. It's just that you're not with the right group of people for you yeah. and your needs and who you are as a human being. Right, right, absolutely. And that's and the blessing of coming out and getting divorced. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just being able to have like open and honest and true conversations. Mm -hmm. And like, I want to talk about gay stuff all the time yeah. <laughs> like, I want to talk about gay stuff all the time and my straight mommy friends don't want to hear about it they don't yeah. want to they don't want they don't and they certainly don't want their husbands to hear about it and they don't want any of that 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, it really is, you know, finding that community and it can yeah. be hard, you know, when you come out later in life and you're not necessarily where you might be geographically. Well, and, also too, and also too, and we're in the middle of COVID. So any community and finding connection that it can be hard. Yeah. So I have a quick last question for you. I know you're in a long distance relationship. How do you navigate that? So it's not easy, right. um, but it's beautiful and wonderful. And uh, we just, we see each other as much as we possibly can. She's mm -hmm. very lucky that she, uh, she has a really flexible job and can come out to see me as much as possible because with my job, I can't, and just family, just stuff. It makes yes. it very hard for me to go the other way. We do, you know, as much as we possibly can. Um, but, you know, we're just, we're, com we're committed to each other and um, it's not like anything I ever thought I would, would be my life story in that way, but you know, it, it is, it is. And so you just, you just make it work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I have some questions for you. <laughs> um, when you came out, did you have a coming out song? So I definitely had uh, Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive on repeat. I, I had um, uh, Destiny's Child, I'm a survivor. Yeah. I, I would run I that. that song. I know. <laughs> um, I Will Survive was like, was our kind of our unofficial sorority theme song that we would all sing. And um, I feel like that time of life for me to be at Wittenberg and to be in that group of those really strong women mm -hmm. was the closest that I had ever been in my life to coming out and just, mm -hmm. I, and just being happy and authentic and doing what I wanted to do and having self-confidence um, and loving that experience. And then, so revisiting that song on this side of it and just really like, oh, like the, I will survive, like really having a different meaning. Yeah. And yes, you will survive sure. and thrive. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. So a book or a movie that really changed your perspective on things and it doesn't have to be gay stuff. Um, well, I would say, I don't like, so post coming out, I did, I read Untamed. Mm -hmm. I, and before this, I had, I had always gravitated towards Glenn and Doyle always mm -hmm. in I had had another friend that she had come and like spoke and I was, um, I was always just sort of, you know, just thought that she had a good, an interesting story mm -hmm. pre Abby. And then I didn't know any of this stuff about post, you know, Abby. And I remember I was at a, my kid's swim practice and someone was saying, oh, you know, this group, this, uh, we have this nonprofit and Glenn and Doyle is going to come and speak to it. And I was like, oh, let me just look her up. And like, I, I, you know, Wikipedia it. And then yeah. the first thing is married to Abby Wap. And I was like, wow, wow, what is that? <laughs> what happened? What did I miss? <laughs> yeah. And this was before anything, but I would, you know, like just that story of, mm -hmm. of, of her coming out was very powerful. Well, because it um, gave you hope. I yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and just like a lot of changes. And so you're like, Hey, I can do this too. Right. And just, you know, it is hard and that life is hard and that's okay. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, life is beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't having any of that. I wasn't having the hard and I wasn't having the beautiful. I was just floating and getting by and, mm -hmm. and I thought that's what it was all about. And well, I didn't realize it's not. 
Well, and I thought it was really interesting because I know what it's like to raise a lot of kids at once and you sort of lose yourself in that. Like I joke, I didn't, I didn't think about my sexuality in my thirties at all. <laughs> they didn't even cover me because I was so busy raising children. And what I found really particularly poignant about your story, Megan, is that is that when you went to that storytelling festival and like it was the first time in years that you had anything, like you just told a story about yourself that didn't involve your husband, didn't involve your children. It was just Megan standing up there. And that's okay that you, we do things for ourselves. Mm -hmm. There's no, like, that's the thing is we see so many women struggle with, is it okay that I just, that I wanna get divorced just because I wanna get divorced? You know, and that doesn't have to be, sometimes people aren't gay either. They just are not happy and yeah. it's okay. Like, I think what we're trying to say to everybody, it's okay to do something for yourself that you need and you want. Yeah, and even if you don't know what that is, but it's the not this. I don't yeah. even know what it is, but it's not this. Right, and I think actually Elizabeth Gilbert wrote, wrote a really nice piece called not this and oh um, yeah yeah and it's but it's true it's like I, I I'll never forget myself like it was like a couple of like three or four months into my coming out um journey and I was looking outside and we had a group of friends over I mean I was still you know just out to my husband and kids and a couple people here and there and I remember like they were all getting together and they were talking and my ex-husband perfectly happy doing that for the rest of his life he would be, he would do that for the rest of it. And I remember just looking out thinking, it was my not this moment, you know? I mean, I just don't want this. And like, I had been, like, I hear it in your story. You had, we had been so acculturated, even though you're this big feminist in college, so acculturated that we're supposed to get married and we're supposed to have babies and we're supposed to do this and we're supposed to do that. And then you look out the window one day and you say, I just don't want this. And it was really hard for me to accept that it was okay for me to say that. that even though maybe somebody else wants that, but it's okay for me not to want that. Right, right. You know? As women, we're not, we are only told the narrative of the patriarchy. Man, yeah, you have the hat, you get the house, you have the kids, you, you know, the biggest compliment you can get as a mom is to be selfless. Yes. And I look at that now and think, why would I want my daughter to lose herself? Right. Why would I want my, my son, mom your, to? Your sons, or, you know, why would yeah. you And I think that's another thing that, you know, I had a, I had a group this morning and it is women that are in the beginning. So they're, they've acknowledged their sexuality, but they're just getting divorced and everything like that so that it in yes they're all just and they're all older I mean they're in their 50s and 60s you know and um one of them said today which was really it was really poignant and she always says something like this um she said I realized I was trying to take care of my children but what I was teaching them was to stay in places that were not good for them mm -hmm. like you know she really, really worked hard to maintain this beautiful package of a family, you know, and didn't get a lot of help from her spouse. And so she said, you know, what I inadvertently taught them was not to have their needs met and to not, um, you know, to live for other people. And she goes, I didn't want to teach them that. 
but I did teach him that. But she's made the changes in her life and her, you know, we were reflecting on her oldest daughter that who is 20, who doesn't like buy into a lot of the stuff that she bought into. And she feels like she's really feels like that her, she has a lot of hope for her daughter that she won't go down the same path of incessant caretaking because her daughter has awareness when people are trying to manipulate her and stuff like that. So it's a gift. It's a gift to give your kids. Yes. It is a message. It's a gift to give your kids that it's okay for mom to be happy because we always, a lot of the women that are in our circles worries, they have so much guilt and shame over leaving their marriages. And um, the thing is, is that kids really deserve happy parents, Mm -hmm. you know, and they deserve to have healthy emotional boundaries and taking care of themselves modeled. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, self-sacrifice and miserableness. So my last question then is what's the best thing about your life today? My Mm self-confidence. I lost that for 15 years Mm -hmm. and lived through everybody else. Mm -hmm. And now I'm living for myself. Obviously my children will always be prioritized and, and I feel like by living an authentic life and living truthfully that I am prioritizing my kids' needs in that way. But I would say that's the biggest change in my life and the best thing about my life right now. Like I can fix my own toilet. <laughs> I can. Are you a handy dyke? <laughs> uh, I wouldn't go that far, um, but I know the right people you to can call. Get together. <laughs> <laughs> so it's wonderful to hear that self-confidence we met at the very beginning of your journey. We sure did. You were the first person I called. Yeah. Well, I'm honored that you were the first person. I was the first person you called and I love to see the self-confidence and I love that you not only give that to your children, but you also give that to your clients as well. Mm-hmm. And you learned to listen to your own voice and that is the greatest gift we can teach somebody else to do. So you'll be doing that for a lot of other people. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you for everything that you've done for me. Um, it's been a, two years now, I believe, since I first picked up the phone and called you and I was terrified and I didn't know how the technology worked and I was scared that I was going to get found out and I was in a parking lot and I was in between crying jags and I thought I was going to end up in a paper box a paper bag or a cardboard box on the side of the road and I just could not visualize what my story could look like with a happy ending and you gave me just the calm reassurance and the understanding that there had been many people who had had this who had done this before and came out on the other side happier, stronger, healthier. Mm -hmm. And I needed to hear that. Well, you know, that's the funny thing. I think the biggest part of my job is normalizing it. (laughs) Normalizing it. Make people come and say, oh, this happened. I'm like, oh, that's normal. (laughs) (laughs) normal. You know, it's funny because, you know, I talk to people in their cars. I talk to people in their bathrooms. I talk to people in their closets, literally. You know, and so the very first steps, sometimes you're, you know, people are so nervous and, and everything like that. So that's really normal. And, um, you know, I'm really grateful that you reached out and we got an opportunity to meet each other. And it's been fun, fun, 
it has been fun seeing you blossom. I know you had some really hard times, um, but it's really been fun to see where you've been exciting to see where you're going and you're not there yet. I mean, you're there, but you're not there. You know what I mean? It's got a bit. I certainly still have a ways to go. So, and I can't wait. Like I, I can't wait for the next part. Yeah. What that looks like post COVID and all this other stuff. Yeah, COVID sucks, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I want to, I want to go to all these conventions that you're talking about and all that kind of stuff, and all like you'll be there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, all right. thank you, Megan. I appreciate. Thank you, Anne Marie. Thank you so much. This is a really, really important work that you're doing. Ah, thank you. All right. Take care.